Hi, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? I'm all right. Um, still in interview land. Ah. The land of finding another job. Um, and how's that going? I'm fine. Going okay, I guess. But hopefully by next week I'll know something more. (laughs) 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 Because my job finishes soon. Uh, But I got Pokemon Shield, which is awesome. So, What what is Pokemon Shield? It's um, just a game on the Switch, Pokemon game. Very nice. So is it like... Do you remember the the big craze uh, with the Pokemon game on the mobile where you went around and caught Pokemons and then people were like... Pokemon Go. I still have Pokemon Go. (laughs) I love Pokemon Go. I tried it. I I can't even get it to work. I I can't even. I found one and can catch it, and then I just gave up. So you got practice, but yeah. Now, um, obviously, it drains your battery quite a lot. So, but sometimes, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll log on and catch Pokemon. But yeah, um, mainly playing that and Animal Crossing. And it's also time for gaming in lockdown world. Oh, actually, mm-hmm. I've got a story about lockdown. So lockdown is definitely affecting me more than I thought. <laughs> The other day, someone randomly came around, one of Charlotte's friends, boyfriends randomly came around and just dropped something off outside our like front door. Like some baked goods that like uh, that, that uh, her friend had made. Like, so basically he turned up and I just didn't know what to do. Like, I just basically treated him like a delivery driver <laughs> and just kind of like <laughs> thanked him. I think I said, how are you going? And then just sent him on his way. I didn't even get Charlotte to like speak to him. <laughs> like, and then I came in and Charlotte's like, why don't you get me? I was like, I don't know. Like, I just... He was a delivery driver. I, I, I for, I've forgotten how to interact with Socially people. interact. <laughs> I, do, yes. I mean, like, I, may, I, I looked after, like, afterwards. I was like, am I the only person? But apparently it seems to be quite, well, a little bit common anyway. Other people are going down there. Will we ever go back to normal? That's the question. Well, the new normal... This is the new normal. We can't like this can't can surely this can't surely be the new normal forever. This is unsustainable. Yeah, I mean, it won't be like this will be the new normal, but it'll be like a different version of old normal. Uh, also, the other thing that's happened, interesting, very interesting, that's happened. Blah blah blah. Is uh, Burma has uh, exploded? I saw that. So yeah, what the hell? And so. Sinchi has been uh, arrested arrest- along with the rest yeah. of the League, uh, National League for Democracy party by the uh, the military. I mean, like, people should go back and listen to the episode on General, on our Colonel Suzuki. Yeah, that was a really interesting episode. And you can kind of get an idea of why why Burma is just run by the military. Yeah, and it's it was like a kind of short history of Burma, wasn't it? Yeah. That episode. So yeah, go back and listen if you're interested in learning about Burma. But it's quite weird. I mean, like, there's so many kind of similarities. Like, they learn so much from uh, from the Japanese like Imperial Army. They're like militarists, like running a country. The only problem is, like, in Japan, the militarists were kind of like working within uh, what was essentially like a, a civilian constitutional framework that had been kind of like written during like the Meiji restoration. I mean like it was kind of like an old constitution but it was kind of based on like the same constitutional like monarchy system as Britain stroke like the the kind of the one they had in Prussia. But 
in Burma, you have kind of like a, a new democratic party that's trying to work within a, like a constitutional framework written by the military. But it's just not going to work, really. <laughs> like, can't trust a military junta to write a constitution <laughs> for a country. No, not really. But yeah. Well, uh, it'll be good to see... Well, not good. It will be interesting to see how it keeps unfolding. As mm. soon as I saw it, I was like, Dan's going to bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> I know you will. But yeah, there's there's more going on in the world that isn't the death of Captain Tom, which is incredibly yeah. sad also. Sad. But, you know, look at world world news as well and um, world history. Speaking of Captain Tom, he, he, he fought in Burma also. Did he? So he's also See, another link to Burma. It's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> Some Burmese circle of life in the royal tank corps driving them valentine tanks i think but yeah so that's a little bit of uh history in there tiny bit of captain tom history a little bit of uh cool um okay should we talk about some historical folks hit me all right well this week it's two for one deal buy one get one free like Bonnie and Clyde, but oh, yes. we did that. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you ever heard of General Francois Fournier? I can't say this other name, so I'm going to get Google to say it for me. Sarah Louvez. That. Uh, Sarah Louvez. <laughs> and General Pierre Dupont de la Tongue. Right, the Dupont guy rings a bell, but maybe it's a different Dupont. Well... So maybe not. So these two guys were uh, fictionalised in a film by um, Ridley Scott, his first film. Ah, okay. Uh, In the 70s, was it already? Late 70s? Do you know the film I I mean? The Duelists. Oh, okay. Which is based on a short story by, or a novella by um, Joseph Conrad. Yes. So, I am doing the real story of those two duelists this week. Right, okay, so that's why yeah. probably <laughs> I know the Ridley Scott movie and or the Joseph Conrad are not the real people. So, yeah, learn me up. So, yeah, I'm going to just go from the beginning. Don't want to give any, like, the spoilers away because uh, it, gets, it gets crazy. Right, okay. so, <laughs> Fournier... We'll start with Fournier. Fournier was born on 6th September 1773 in Sarlat, or Sarlet, Sarlat, I think it would be Sarlat, uh, southwestern France. Uh, may I say, is a very beautiful looking medieval town, and it's now on my list of places to visit. Nice, so, I love uh, it. When we're, Let's allowed, go. <laughs> when we're allowed to, if we're ever allowed to see the world again, everyone should hit converge there instantly. <laughs> um, Let's all meet there. <laughs> <gasps> to Jean uh, Jean Fournier and Marie Anne Bourne. Um, so Fournier was the name by what he was known. So this one, Sir Louvez, uh, was added to his name uh, very much later. I think it's kind of like a royal title. But anyway, right, we'll okay. get onto that later. Uh, so I'm just calling Fournier from now. Unlike so many high-ranking military officers at the time. Fournier's father was not a military man, but rather owned a cabaret. Um, in fact, right. 
He was born in the very uh, inn owned by his parents that held the cabaret. Um, and this would go some way to explaining the certain theatricality uh, with which Fournier lived his life. Though perhaps not, not really his bloodlust. Um, yeah, the cabaret is pretty low on the yeah. slaughter list as far as I'm aware. <laughs> Unless you live in Riverdale. Um, those who watch Riverdale will get that reference. <laughs> What's Riverdale? I'm interested now. It's a, it's a um, Netflix like, show. If there's blood and cabaret, that sounds like a... Well, what, it's, a, it's <laughs> kind of like a, t- it's a, like a teen show, like a teen soap, but like one of those ones where like loads of supernatural weird serial killer stuff happens and one of the characters who is 17 owns a cabaret because obviously when you're 17 <laughs> that is where, you yeah. can definitely own a cabaret standard um so yeah that's it happens in riverdale anyway S- this standard is not about life path <laughs> 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 so strangely and contrary to his future reputation fournier originally studied with the monks of salah uh, as a choir boy so a beautiful voice. Well, it Such could a have been blood, blood could have been <laughs> Like that one guy that does the rap in choir. <laughs> I don't know how choir works. Uh, it said he see, received solid instruction by the monks of his hometown and became a clerk uh, of the prosecutor. So basically prosecuting criminals, helping out with the summary trial of criminals in his hometown. Um... Oh, this didn't hold his attention for long. The Fournier, Fournier wanted adventure, and he'd find his adventure in the army. So in 1791, he went to Paris and entered the army, and the following year became a second lieutenant in the 9th Dragoons. Dragoons! He quickly rose... Like the word. <laughs> <laughs> he quickly rose through the ranks, uh, but not so much due to his military skill. Uh, not now, at least, anyway. Uh, but because of his high regard for the right politics, and more importantly, his low regard uh, for the value of life, for this age of uh, for this age of the French Revolution was uh, characterized by fear and paranoia. For this was the era of Maximilien, Francois, Marie, Isidore. I don't know if that's how you say it. De Rose-Pierre. <laughs> Yes, Rose Pierre. You promised me an episode on Rose Pierre, and I've never got my Rose Pierre (laughs) episode, so I am waiting patiently for my Rose Pierre. It is on the list. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm sure it'll come around. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about him because he he needs his own uh, episode one day. Uh, But uh, for an overview, he did campaign for universal man suffrage and the abolition of both celibacy for the clergy and slavery. Uh, he was also an outspoken advocate for the citizens without a political voice, uh, for the unrestricted admission to the National Guard uh, of all people, all men, uh, and the admission of all men to public officers and the right to carry arms in self-defense. So that was a good part. However... He also presided over what is now known as the Reign of Terror, characterised by massacres and numerous public executions um, that took place as part of the revolutionary fervour of the period. Since So kind of like his killings didn't only include the rich and the royalists, but also those who were unable to convince that they were quite radical enough. So the period saw the killing of around 40,000 people, of which around 85% were simply ordinary people who... <clears throat> dismayed uh, the revolutionaries in some way or another. 
Um, one of the VR leaders, Bertrand Badier, famously scored out in the convention, let's make terror the order of the day. So that's the kind of like, that's kind of like the, uh, the atmosphere we're kind of like looking at here. Yeah, that's what's going on in France. Just, you know, yeah. you, you basically like didn't want to be there. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be anywhere else. <laughs> if the equipment was happening, like I'm a Lib Dem, so like I definitely would have been guillotined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, our man Fournier, he had no qualms in taking part. As an ardent Jacobin, he helped put down local uprisings, helped make arrests, and generally danced around in the illumination of what was essentially ritualistic killing. So lovely stuff. Yeah, um, what, what a guy. <laughs> but this couldn't happen, this couldn't last forever. Uh, following Robespierre's death, he was uh, deprived of his rank and imprisoned in Lyon as punishment for his part in the terror. Uh, however, he escaped and was reinstated in the army. So he escaped and then went back to the army? Yeah, they just took him back. I don't know how that happened. Like, I tried to look into it, but apparently... Yeah, yeah that's, it that's gets all harder when you get further back. Yeah. <laughs> um... So now his, his career would be somewhat uneven. Uh, while he would raise to the rank, raise to the rank of general, uh, his road would be rocky. He was frequently demoted because of uh, financial dishonesty and illegal absences. He would drink. He would womanize. He would fight. And well, the last thing is kind of like what he's uh, known best for now. Um, yeah, although Orsvenio was probably the most unruly and unpredictable senior officer ever to serve Napoleon, he was also incredibly daring, which is why he was promoted so quickly. Um, generally, his bravery meant he was in demand, so he'd frequently taken on as aide-de-camp by senior generals, which helped him helps accelerate his promotions, and despite the numerous setbacks, kind of like he'd always be able to like get back up on his feet. I mean, he was brave. For instance, in Spain, it said that Fornia found... A good alter ego, ready for any and all escapades. So he said he would always leave from the front. So on uh, the 5th of May, uh, 1811, at the Battle of Fuentes de Honoro, uh, he personally led his brigade to penetrate and sabre three English infantry squares. So that's no mean feat. Like, charging down an infantry square, that's kind of like just infantry all Kind of like arrayed in a square with their like bayonets up and what muskets. war is this? Uh, so this is like the Napoleonic Wars, <laughs> right? Okay. So like one a, of them. So the squares are basically like uh, the infantry's means to like counter um, cavalry's cavalry troops. So yeah, they'll like just massacre like cavalry if they're, they're face down, unless Poor guys. like the unless like the cavalry are like brave, brave enough to like directly charge at it. And that's kind of like what he was able to lead his 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 cavalrymen to do. He was also heavily involved in the pacification of guerrilla forces, so we all know that means a lot of yeah, a lot of villagers were burnt, a lot of yeah. people died, a lot of think like men. think like Bodicea slash Genghis Khan, yeah, all like that. not Bodicea herself. What I mean is the Romans, yeah, but like yeah. That kind of deal. So although he was brave, this was coupled with an intolerable arrogance. Basically, he was just a bully and and a bully of the worst kind. So what he enjoyed most was insulting others and their wives, leading to demands of duels where he could kill others within the dueling code. 
He would almost always challenge those he knew he could beat and he knew he could kill. He has nice. Since, uh, he's since been quite rarely branded as possibly a sociopath, but I'd suggest more likely a psychopath since he seems to chase excitement, like drinking, womanizing, and battle. That was my uh, <laughs> my amateur <laughs> my amateur diagnosis. There you go. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so a case in point being a young man from Strasbourg in 1794. Um, so like most of this story, most of the story of this duel is going to come from the romance of dueling in all times and countries. Uh, volume two, which is a must for any fencer. There's um. There's a lot of dialogue in here that the writer couldn't possibly have known, so I'm suggesting that there's a lot of conjecture in this source. Yeah. <laughs> However, it's written in the spirit of the, spirit of the times, and it sounds cool, uh, so I'm going to quote heavily. So this is also the source material, like one of the source material that, like, some of the source material that, um, that Con- uh, Joseph Conrad's book is based on. Right, okay. So it's, uh, it's supposed to be... <laughs> Source material of some kind. Uh, so it's basically written by a guy called Andrew Steinmetz. Uh, and what he writes about Fournier is uh, a captain of the Hussars named Fournier. So he was a captain at the time. He hadn't quite made his general yet. Uh, who was a desperate duelist and endowed, as the French say, with deplorable skill. Had challenged and killed on a most frivolous pretense a young man named Bloom. He was the sole support of a family. So, I mean, that's pretty grim. At that time, like, there's going to be no other income. And he's just like, killed a young family man. Nice. Leaving Good her, like, job. his family, like, impoverished. On some, like, frivolous slate. Um, he's giving me um, Benedict Armand vibes. You know, that kind oh, of, yeah. like, attitude Definitely. where <laughs> he doesn't care about, like, he just has his temper. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a mad child. Um, So at the event, the entire town put forth a cry of lamentation, a cry of malediction on the murderer. The young man's funeral was ascended by an immense multitude and sympathy was felt for the bereaved family in every household. So on the night of the the funeral, the general in command of the army to kind of like... uh, who was stationed in the village, decided to hold a ball at his residence in order to try and just smooth things over the locals. So not surprisingly, he thought it was unwise to invite the uh, the now widely hated Fournier. Less, uh, as as uh, Steinmeitz writes, um, the presence of Fournier might be offensive to his guests of the evening. <laughs> seems like a very <laughs> light way of putting it. So yeah, it seems sensible anyway. And so he dispatched one Captain Dupont, his aide-de-camp at the time, to prevent him from entering the ballroom. So let's uh, find out a bit about Dupont now. So he was born in Chabonnet um, of wine fame on the 4th of July, 1765. Uh, I can't find anything on his parents, but his brother was General Dupont uh, Sherman, who would later become head ambassador for the French Empire. So I'm guessing the family was kind of like a big deal. <clears throat> uh, Dupont's first military service came in 1784 at the age of 15 when he was commissioned as a Sous lieutenant in uh, Holland, service in Holland. Um, so he was like 15 giving like orders to adults. I mean, it's kind of crazy. That was 
someone else who, who had that going on. Hamilton is one of the oh, yeah. ones that comes to mind. Yeah, he was like 15 when he was put in charge of a trading charge. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite crazy, isn't it? When I was 15, yeah, there's no way I'd be able to do that. We had to do <laughs> it now. When I was 15, I hadn't yeah. even got the hang of hair dye. <laughs> Never mind, like, yeah, any kind of job. So in October 1791, he became aide de camp to General Theobald de Dillon and was with the general at Basu on April the 29th, 1792, when the soldiers under his command mutinied, mutinied against him. So defending the general, Dupont took a shot to the face from a pistol while the general was shot and killed. Only a few days later, with a gun wound in his face, Dupont made his way to... Oh, Wait. No. So yeah, it was like in his cheek or something. I think so. Yeah, I think it just and like, it just missed like maybe when I went through like through his open mouth wow. and his cheek or something. Villa, so anyway, he's right. He looked a state. Oh yeah, he was just he was definitely in like <laughs> not looking his best. <laughs> uh, then he made his way to Valenciennes, where he became aide de camp to General Dillon's brother, General Arthur Dillon. Uh, so he'd basically proven his worth. After that, he was going to like always in demand another guy that like generals wanted as a to camp like funia but he's really got his his uh real golden moment came in 1793 when he managed to force an entire austrian regiment to surrender he'd later a similar distinction when he prevented the escape of the austrians at Ulm, contribution to the isolation and subsequent capture of karl mac von Liebereck and his whole army <laughs> his entire army in 1805 so Pretty good stuff. Wow, that is good stuff. And this is like when the other guy was in prison. Uh, no, this would same be t- when the other guy was in Spain. But we'll go into that a little okay. bit later. Um, sure. He was back in the army by then. Uh, by okay, Colonia. cool. So he was um, already had already got out, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll already say him to the path the top with his support for Napoleon's coup d'état. So in 1799, he was amongst the many... In the officer corps who wanted to see like stability returns to France after years of like the revolution going a bit crazy. Uh, <laughs> so before his victories in 1805, Dupont was but a humble captain serving as uh, aide de camp to General a General um, Morieu. So he's the guy who stopped Fourier from going to the ball. Um, so he was sent by Morieu to pre- uh, to prevent the presence of Fournier at the ball. As the romance of dueling describes, their first duel took place in 1794. So Dupont accordingly posted himself at the entrance, and when Fournier made his appearance, he explains, Do you dare show yourself here? The deuce, what does this mean? asked Fournier. It means, replied Captain Dupont, that you ought to have understood that on the day of the funeral of poor Blum, it would have been only decent to remain at home, or certainly not to appear at a reunion in which you are likely to meet with the friends of your victim. So you... basically, if Fournier really wanted to go to this party. Oh, yeah. Why even did though, you want to go to this party so being, badly? It was essentially being held as like a rem- like a memorial for this blue oh, guy. Guy who oh, shot, who had a family. What? <laughs> D-bag. He, he is a D-bag. And to this, he replied, you mean enemies. I would have you to know that I fear nobody and that I am in a mood to defy all the world. He's in Uh, the mood to fight all the world. (laughs) (coughs) I'm going to use that when I'm in like a mood next. I'm going to be like, I'm in the mood to fight all the world. 
Ah, bah, you should not enjoy that fancy tonight. You must go to bed by order of the general, rejoined Dupont. You're not mistaken, Dupont, said Fournier. I cannot call the general to account for insulting me by closing his door upon me. But I look to you and to them, and I am resolved to pay you handsomely for your commission as doorkeeper, which you have accepted. Oh, as for that, my dear fellow, I'll fight you when you like. The fact is, your insolent and blustering behaviour has displeased me for a long time, and my hand itches to chastise you. We Can shall I just s- say, yeah. this is like Napoleonic like the force essex so you oh, know yeah, when, like absolutely. in the force essex when like they're trying to get into a club yeah and the body and like the guard outside is like yeah you ain't coming in here i remember last week what happened <laughs> last week and he was like let me in bruv like what are you saying it's like that yeah but french and in 1800 <laughs> <laughs> well fournier replied we shall see who is the chastiser and so the duel began <laughs> so the men were were mostly equally matched uh, when it came to the swords and the uh, and the contest went back and forth with all manner of thrusts and parries um, until Fournier was laid on the ground wounded. Um, Touche. So at this time, do you know in France if um, dueling was illegal? Because um, in England and in America, dueling was technically, even though it happened all the time, it was like technically illegal. I think that's the same in like France. Like I, this would have been just before Napoleon, but I know like Napoleon kind of like banned his officers from dueling, like banned in like inverted commas. Yeah. But then like he'd probably he'd look down on generals that didn't accept a duel. <laughs> <laughs> so like it was kind of like yeah, it's kind of like it's gonna happen, but yeah. you know I've got to pretend that I don't like it. Um. So, like, basically, this was kind of, like, treated like a fencing match. Like, he'd been, like, run through. And he basically uh, exclaimed, uh, that's the first touch. So, like, touche, basically, as you, like, shout when you get, like, touched when you're fencing. Yeah. Um, then you wish to have another bout, do you, asked DuPont? Most assuredly, my brave fellow, and before long, I hope. So they... Both agreed that a rematch must be had. So it took a month for Fournier to recover to be well enough for another bout. And again, they fought. This time, Dupont was grievously wounded. And in fa- uh, falling, he exclaimed, that's the second. As soon as possible again, and then for the finish. So kind of like best out of three. That's insensible, right? Like, if you're going to... I mean, when you say sensible... Contest, have a contest, like, <laughs> you, you want to have an out. But... If you're going to have an out right right now... You need the third At this match. point, what are they fighting about? Because the party is over. Like, oh yeah, it's it's so long. So they're just fighting for honor now. I think so. Yeah, that's like men are weird. I know. This is like <laughs> this is a story of like toxic masculinity, basically. <laughs> yeah, honor. Really that's like <laughs> honor. It has so much like it's such positive connotations, but it's just so full of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, your ego is bruised. Is essentially what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, it's like ever get over it. Um. So they had their third. Uh, they had their third match. The problem was that uh, the finish was not decided. The sign each received only very slight wounds. Um, I don't know what that means. Like it's probably like it's probably still pretty harsh, but <laughs> compared to some of the other stuff they've done, it's very. They they saw a slight, but anyway. 
So with this third bout undecided, they resolve to continue the contest until either ah uh, continue the contest until either of them should confess himself beaten or satisfied. So the failure of this rematch resulted in at least another thirty jewels over the next ten years. What? <laughs> so they just like went back and forth, like win, yeah. last win, last. How? Well. To ensure satisfaction, the two drew up a formal contract. It stated... Oh my gosh, this is going too far, guys. Seriously. <laughs> if I was either one of these girlfriends, I would be like, look, he really needs to drop this. Like, this is not funny anymore. Well, luckily, they were single at the moment. This is like, <laughs> that comes into it. That comes into it later. Oh no, okay. <laughs> so, so, the contract stated, every time that DuPont and Fournier shall be 100 miles from each other, they will approach half the distance and meet sword in hand. Right. Okay. Hang on. How would they know if they were 100 miles from each other? I guess because they're both in the army, so they'll know like where the other person's, right, the other the other person's unit is. Yeah, is stationed. Right. So they're like, so then they'd have to go towards each other. The second clause stated, should one of the contracting parties be prevented by the duties of service, he who is free must go the entire distance so as to reconcile the duties of the service with the extingencies of the present treaty. Okay. Extingencies? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The third clause stated, no excuse whatever excepting those resulting from military obligations will be admitted. And the fourth clause stated, the present being a bona fide treaty cannot be altered from conditions agreed upon by the consenting parties. So they basically just signed a treaty to like fight okay. each other. And to this kill is each like other. for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Until Until like, one of them is dead. Yeah, until one of them gives in, basically. Why can't one of them just be like, look, <laughs> I give it well, because of toxic masculinity. Yeah, because of honour. Honour. Because of honour. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh. Um this is a bit like I don't know. <sighs> It's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes you have like a weird thing with a person, like, like you pass something back and forth between you. For example, okay, me and my best friend Raya, we have a book. It's called I'm Having Your Baby. It's like a Mills and Boone book, but there's a question mark at the end. So it's like, I'm having your baby. (laughs) Anyway, we've been passing this book back and forth for like 15 years. It's kind of like that, but stupider. (laughs) With a contract. (laughs) And oh, swords. Mills and Bean. Quality literature. I thought about like writing some Mills and Beans books, trying to sound but, like it's good Because it's like <laughs> anyone can just write one and you send it yeah, to you the can publisher, just write don't them. you? Mm-hmm. You pay quite well for it. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Uh so as the romance states, this contract was religiously executed in all its rigour, despite the two fighting in separate wars uh all over Europe. Uh, so did, in like, fact, th- sorry, did people, other people know about this? Did it become like, yeah, they're like their well, staff, well known in them, about it, in the yeah, because yeah. people must have needed to like cover for them. Uh, well, they kind of like 
Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. As they kind of rose, like in the ranks, they kind of like oh, like saying those, but they like congratulate each other because it meant that like it would be easier for them to fight. So by the time they were both generals, <laughs> it's like basically like they don't have any responsibilities. Well, they do. They have to like they've got responsibility over an entire army, but they've got like no one above them telling them what to do. So it's just like it's great now. We could just fight whenever we want. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> um, so. Uh, to quote the uh, the romance again, their eagerness to meet was like that of two lovers. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, I almost feel like there's something a bit romantic like, about this. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something. Like they're actually like. a bit in love. They never cross swords without first shaking hands in the most boisterous manner. Um, there's also like some letters from the period of like they have survived. Through. For instance, I once one stated, I am invited to breakfast with the officers of the reg- Regiment of Chasseurs at Sunnyville. As you are on leave in that town, will we take the advantage of the opportunity, if you please, to get a thrust at each other? Get a thrust at each other. Get a thrust. <laughs> hmm, yeah. Sure. Uh, in fact, they, they frequently just breakfast with each other before fighting. So to meet up, have a little bit of food together. Have a little chat, have a good time, and then try and kill each other with swords. <laughs> so, say... Okay, now just keep going with the story, because I, I'll ask questions, like, when I know what actually happens. Otherwise, it's, uh, yeah. In another letter, uh, Funia wrote, My dear friend, I shall be at Strasbourg on the 5th of November, um, Proximo, about noon. Wait for me at the hotel, the posters, where uh, we shall have thrust or tea. <laughs> Just casual, just casual, casual attempt at stabbing each other with swords. A little bit fun, right? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the sale and the tenor of the entire correspondence of like their 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 rivalry. Um, yeah, in fact, they kind of like showed like positive affection. So as I said, yeah, Dufournier before Dufournier congratulated Dupont on reaching the rank of general. So his life letter uh, regarding that wrote, uh, he basically wrote. Um, my dear Dupont, I hear the Emperor, Emperor, doing justice to your merit, has just promoted you to the grade of Brigadier General. Accept my sincere congratulations on a promotion which by your courage is made natural, a mere matter of course. I have two reasons for the exaltations of, uh, of this nomination. First, the satisfaction of a fortunate circumstance for your advancement. And secondly, the facility now vouchsafed for, uh, to us to have a thrust at each other on the first opportunity. So basically, <laughs> now we're generals, it's much easier to get out of work and have a fight. Yeah. I love you. That is basically like what boss. it said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so over the next few years, they continued to fight. They fought mounted, on foot, with swords, rapiers, sabres, and finally, in what would end the duels, with pistols. <gasps> oh no, oh my god, I'm really nervous. But we'll get to that at the end. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> one particular brutal encounter took place in Switzerland when Dupont was ordered to join the army there. This one's crazy. So, he, when he arrived, he found the village already occupied by the uh, army staff, and so uh, not a single inn or a tavern which, uh, in which he could book a room. The night was dark, uh, night was not a light was seen, all except at the window of a small cottage. Dupont went to the door, hoping to find a room for the night, but entering, he found himself face to face with Fournier. <gasps> so this is basically like the Pink Panther. Like, you know when, like, 
Kato and Cluzo just attack each other randomly. Yeah. That's basically just what's happening here, except with swords. Um, So according to the romance, there's more (laughs) just in-depth dialogue that he could never have known, but I'm going to read out because it's great anyway. Anyway, (laughs) so the romance says, What? You are here, exclaimed Fournier rapturously. Now for a thrust. And so the two went at it, rapier in hand, in this poor random person's cottage, just chatting casually as they did. I thought you were promoted to some high administrative function, said Fournier. You were wrong. I am still of the trade, replied Dupont. The minister has sent me to the fourth corps, and here I am. And your first visit is to me. It is very kind of you, sacre bleu, cooed Fournier. <laughs> sacre so, like... bleu. <laughs> Uh, and amidst all this amiable chat, Dupont drove his sword through Fournier's neck and held him spitted to the wall. Through his neck? That's just crazy. Uh, you will admit that you did not expect that thrust. Dupont still held him fast, and Fournier muttered, I'll give you a thrust quite equal to this. What thrust can you give? Uh, replied Dupont. Why, as soon as you lower your arm and before you can parry, I shall lunge into your belly. Thank you for the hint. Then she will pass a night in this position. That's an agreeable prospect, but really I'm not very comfortable. Drop your sword and <laughs> I will set you three, free, said Dupont. <laughs> no, I really must stick you in the belly, replied Fournier. So now some officers came in and tried to buy the noise they were making. Kind of, I rushed in and separated the two generals. But yeah, so he basically had his sword through the neck and the other guy was just being like, as soon as you let me go, I'm just going to stab you, like, run you through the belly. It's just kind of crazy, but they're just talking to each other all the way through. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how much of that's fabricated. But since those officers ran in, I'm guessing there's probably, like, some record of it. Yeah, but Plus where, they were just fighting where is he a... getting the sources? You know, I need footnotes. <laughs> also, I mean, like... It's a poor guy's flat, like cottage. I, mean, I guess they Can't kind of just like cottage. belated and like billeted and just like people's like random houses been like easy to put up for the night. So he's just like having to take care of this like officer and they just suddenly turn another one turns off and they're just fighting with swords throughout his cottage. Just breaking his furniture. Lovely. Um and so after being broken up. Fournier re- recovered despite being stabbed through the neck and so the contest continued <laughs> the contract being faithfully fulfilled by both sides um, so that was until Dupont's thoughts turned to marriage there you go <gasps> oh okay now the, the girlfriend's going into the, into the picture <laughs> so with domestic life beckoning around 1804 Dupont decided his violent tryst with Fournier must come to an end Wait, 1804? I thought yeah. this was already... No, so it started... Hang on, did I really read out another date? The thing started in like 1794. Right. So it's been like Oh, okay, uh, 1794. Right, yeah. okay. Uh, so, <clears throat> he decided he must either kill Fournier or muzzle him effectively. So, Dupont went to Fournier one morning uh, in Paris... Ah, said the said Fournier, greeting him. Glad to see you. Let's have a brush together. Changed it, not a thrust, a brush. A brush. Um, they fought with paintbrushes. <laughs> a word first, my dear fellow, said Dupont. I am on the point of getting married. We must end this quarrel, which is becoming rather rancid. I now come to get rid of you. 
In order to secure a definitive result, I offer to substitute the pistol for the sword. There. Ah, uh, okay. So he's like, look, if we just do it with pistols, someone's going to get shot. Yeah. And well, then that's going to be it. It had another significance as well. So basically, Fornia was a frightful crack shot. He was famous all over France for being one of the finest shots in the entire French army. So, according to M. de Ponticoulon, I think he's another officer, uh, often when the Hussars uh, uh, of his regiment were galloping past smoking, Fusia, uh, blah, blah, blah. Fournier would amuse himself by smashing their short pipes from between their lips. So he shot the pipes from people's lips. Wow, that is a crack shot. Yeah, but also, what a wanker. Like, you're firing <laughs> at people's mouths with a gun. You're not Willy and Tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, so up until now, Dupont had always turned down joining with pistols for obvious re- reasons. Um, Why, man? Are you stark mad? exclaims the dead shot Fournier, astounded by the proposal. Oh, I know your, your skill with the pistol, mon ami. Uh, but let me tell you, I have hit upon a plan which will equalise the conflict. Here it is. Near Neuralee, there is an enclosure with a little wood in it. It is at my disposal. My proposal is this. We shall enter the wood, each provided with a pair of horse pistols, and then, having better separated and being out of sight of each other, we shall track each other as best we can and fire at our convenience. So hunting. They're going to hunt each other. Hunting right, okay. humans. So this isn't normal anymore. No. This is just <laughs> capital. Agreed, exclaims Cornia. Uh, <laughs> but let me give you, Mon View, a little piece of advice. If you please, said Dupont. Well, don't go too far with your magic marriage project. It will be time for trouble lost, for I warrant you'll die a bachelor. Women ain't a project. They are a project of Furnia, apparently. Capital. (laughs) So, uh, Dupont's suggestion, the human hunt went ahead. And they headed out a pistol in each hand to the woods. So, the rules in in a gun duel are... The Gambaraton only has has only the pistols in their hands, the so two pistols, one shot in each. They may not reload, and if one discharges their shots before the other, they must basically just wait for the others to come up and shoot them. So that's pretty harsh. Just waiting for death. Wait, so how many shots do they have in total? Is it one of those ones two. that's got two bullets? Oh, so yeah, it's got one, one bullet. Just each, one in each gun, and that's right. it. So, having separated and got out of sight of each other, as agreed, the two crept about or advanced like cautious wolves or foxes, striving to catch a glimpse at each other through the thicket, whenever the motion of leaves showed their presence. All at once, as though by a common movement, both came to, uh, came in sight together. Standing behind two trees, they squatted down and thus remained for a few minutes. The situation was delicate, critical. To stir or certain death, to one of them at least. Dupont, however, was the first to make the attempt, or rather pretend to do so. He raised the flap of his coat and allowed one end to project out of cover. Bang! came the bullet, in an instant, cutting through the cloth. That settles one shot, ejaculated Dupont. Ejaculated? (laughs) 1800s literature for you there. Dad! (laughs) With a sigh of thanksgiving. With a sigh of thanksgiving. That together. This is good. (laughs) <laughs> this is getting very lowbrow. Anyway, uh, <laughs> after a short attempt of view, Dupont faked another move, but this time on the other side of the tree, holding his pistol with his left hand, he presented the barrel as though 
about to fire and the same instant he held out his hat with his right hand bang came another bullet driving the hat into the bushes now my brave it is all up to you exclaimed dupont stalking out with both pistols in hand and cocked marching up to fournier he said your life is at my disposal but i will not take it beware of ever crossing my path again for if you do i may probably put my two bullets into your brains as I might this instant. And so, end of this long quarrel of nine, of, of ten years. Fournier, the unapproachable crackshot, was bested with his own we- as his own weapon. And Fournier, quite surprising, honoured the truce. That was it. It ended. Well, I guess he was bested, you know. He was bested. And honour... It was time to give up after <laughs> ten years. And honour dictates that you must honour yeah. your... Honor your Promise. Contract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the contract was like ripped up or whatever. Yeah. Well, it just yeah decided that it, was, it had been fulfilled. I suppose. Yeah. Wow. So. And that's it. They both. That, they went on to lives. live their lives. So Fournier and later life, following their final duel, Fournier continued to duel and kill those he saw as inferior. So he didn't stop. He just carried on fighting other people. Um. He would also go on to have an impressive military career in Spain, as we touched on earlier. Um, he was given the rank of Count of the Empire in 1812. Uh, however, his fortunes began to fail along with those of his Emperor of, of Napoleon. He was deprived rank of the rank again in the, on the 26th of October 1813, following a verbal dispute with Napoleon, in which he was accused of de- displaying defeatist attitudes following the defeat at the Battle of Leipzig. So he was subsequently sent to Mayence, um, the prison. During the journey, his carriage, which was escorted by a detachment of gendarmes, was attacked by Russian Cossacks. Uh, a gendarme was killed, but the general grabbed the sword off the dead soldier, took the reins of the carriage, and with the help of the remaining gendarmes, routed the Cossacks. He then returned to his seat in the prison carriage and stated, go on to Mayence. So he didn't even try to escape. He just fought off some Cossacks and then just <laughs> sent himself to jail. After that, he took no further part in the Napoleonic Wars. Upon the st- restoration of the Bourbons, though, Fournier was made Knight of St. Louis by the new king, restored to his old rank and promoted to Inspector General of the Cavalry. In ni- 1819, the king allowed Fournier to add... Sir Lovés. To his name... So it's an astrographic <laughs> name, uh, indicating his hometown and origin, apparently. Yeah, so, so sometimes like, it's like, it'll be like, do something, and that would be like, from, yeah, yeah, and then that place, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the old Jacobin now not only served the monarchy, was but was now part of the new aristocracy. Wow. Come on, if that's not psychopathic, he just... I think that's just, just like, he just goes with the power of his, yeah. right? Yeah. He yeah. just joined in for the power and the and the prestige. So he died on the 18th of January, 1827, aged just 53, after a life of hard drinking, cavorting, and fighting, both in wars and against individuals. Unmarried. Unmarried, apparently. Uh, he's okay. buried in the place of personalities close to his hometown uh, in Salah. His tomb is de- a design apparently based on pyramids. Oh. So that's him. Dupont in later life. After marrying uh, Du Bourgon, daughter of a state councillor on the 26th of December 1804, 
Dupont went on to have a similarly uh, rocky military career again, uh, as touched on before. However, in 1808, he entered Spain at the head of a motley corps made up of provisional battalions and Swiss troops impressed into French service from the Spanish Royal Army. So kind of like unwilling soldiers everywhere is like what we're looking at here. So after the occupation of Madrid, Dupont, a newly created count by Napoleon, so he's now Count Dupont, was sent with his force to subdue Andalusia. After a few initial successes, the continuous pressures forced him to pull back. Pursued and cut off by a Spanish army, his corps was defeated uh, at the Battle of Belian um, after his Swiss troops deserted and returned to their former allegiance with the Spanish. So painfully wounded in the hip, Dupont was forced to surrender. When he was released, he fell into the to Napoleon's dis, uh, disgrace. So after returning to France, Dupont was sent for a court-martial uh, where he was deprived of his rank and title and imprisoned at Fort de Jure um, f- from 1812 to 1814. So that's pretty harsh. He just lost a battle and then like he was just put yeah, in jail uh, by Napoleon. Who had, who had helped to get into power. I mean, like, harsh Napoleon. Um, fickle, fickle Napoleon. So he too was re- released... Uh, during the restoration, I was subsequently employed by uh, Louis again as well uh, in a military command. So he was appointed as a member of the, the Privy Council. Uh, between April and December 1814, he was made Minister of War. But he was such a reactionary, uh, too much even for the king, that the monarch had to recall him. Um, so nice. from 1815 to 1830, Dupont was deputy for the Charente region uh he lived in retirement from 1832 working on his memoirs until his death in 1840 did he publish his memoirs uh i'm not sure actually i don't think so because i can't find them i guess he probably Mm. did but probably only in french though yeah Um, doesn't help he now lies buried in the pere lachise lachise cemetery anyway (laughs) so that's it Nice. The two greatest duelists of all time. Well, the two years. <laughs> most stubborn duelers of all time. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm, I I really want to get back to fencing. So uh, I was even thinking when about it. When the world it. is open again. I've been thinking about it a lot, so that's why uh, the these these guys came into my. I also like um. So I watched the duelists after writing this, and uh, I found it quite boring. <laughs> like the, the story. I mean, the, Joseph like, Conrad is quite boring. I'm really yeah, sorry to everyone that likes him, but I mean, but I read I, The Heart of Darkness, like the first one that I read, and like there are some people who just like, love Heart <clears> of Darkness. <throat> I just really was like, I really was bored. Sorry, but I just yeah, was. I know what you mean. Like, just I'm give me Apocalypse now. Is. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. But I mean, like, this is another kind of example, I think, this film, where, like, the actual... I mean, like, obviously, the source material is kind of, like, quite sketchy, so I don't know how much is, like, completely true. But, I mean, like, it is based on, like, some facts, surely, and this is, like, another example where, like, the the fact is better than the fiction. Yeah. I think. Like, the, the story... Of like their actual fighting seems better than the story that's like portrayed in the in the film. There's another film like that, uh, The Revenant. Like the real Hugh Glass's story is just 
way more. Yeah, I've heard this. I haven't better. seen The Revenant, but I've heard that his real story is like way madder. Yeah. But then obviously you've only got like, you know, two hours, two and a half if you want to push it. But that's the thing, like if to you tell the story. If you made his actual life into a film, the film would be a comedy. It would have to be a comedy film because it's so out there that you couldn't you could tell it in a sensible way. But yeah, everyone should go and listen to the Dollops episode on on Hugh Glass because uh, that, that it's a brilliant episode. Just the Dollops in general. Insane. Yeah, just the Dollops in general. But it's insane. Absolutely also, insane. my my podcast recommendation this week is um, Louis Theroux's episode with Leah Remini. So his um he's got a kind of joe rogan style like podcast oh, cool. um where he talks to just one person a week and this most recent or at least it's like episode three in this season was mm-hmm. leah remini who is an ex-scientologist i love her she does her has her own show called scientology the aftermath which you can get if you are in America or if you have a streaming service like Now TV. And yeah, it's really interesting and she's really powerful and Lou Through is Lou Through, so I think you should go listen to that. Oh, I'm definitely gonna check that out. That sounds good. Um should we wrap it up? Yeah. We're What's hitting that hour mark. <laughs> for dinner i'm going to make well we got leftover curry from yesterday so i'm going to heat that up and i'm going to also make a bit of pork and aubergine to Mm, supplement it aubergine yum how about you pie and mash Ooh, classic very nice yeah we're going classic um british pie and mash um so speaking of classic british (laughs) like me subscribe if you want to hear my classic british accent um every single week and what else should they do oh yeah and give us a rating and a review if you're on apple podcasts i don't know if you can review on other platforms but i think you can on podbean so you go on there or give us a follow yeah and when you review yeah write us a lovely message and we'll give you a little shout out yeah if you have your own podcast you know let us know if you've reviewed and we will do the same yeah oh yeah and yeah follow on twitter and instagram at have your pod bye Bye.